The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. I did want to uh, communicate to you an update about our status uh, in having a, our meetings back. We are, uh, we are talking with the school to find out what we can do about meeting there because our occupancy permit is not going to be until probably October. So we probably need to have a few times where we meet there. And so what is this, it sounds like a possibility, we still have to work out the details, would be to meet on the outside, and we probably meet out in the uh, area of the baseball diamond. There's some trees out there, a lot of shade, and we could bring chairs out there and sit. And uh, we'll have to work all that out, but we are working on it. We're trying to get it done. Um, we want to be we want to be uh, submissive to the the rule that's over us, as we're told in Scripture, and uh, we also want to be faithful to the calling that God's given us as a local church. So we are working on it, and as soon as we have an answer, we'll be getting back to you about what's going to happen. At this point, what we're hoping for is we'll be able to start meeting on Sundays. Uh, in in the morning, probably would be about nine o'clock to make it a little bit cooler. Meet at nine o'clock out uh, on the field. We'll have to bring chairs, and uh, and but we can we can have a pretty much regular service. There'll probably be some restrictions that we'll have to follow, but we will take that all into consideration. And when we announce it, we'll let you know exactly what we have to do. So keep praying about that. The uh, title of this sermon is "Are We Living as Slaves or Sons?" And this is something that Paul deals with in this book, as well as other books, and it's really important to him that we understand as Christians, we are sons of God, not slaves. Now, it doesn't mean that we, the word for slave in the New Testament, doulos, is used of Christians as we are servants of, of God. In fact, Jesus said, even the Son of Man, which he's referring to himself, it was a, that was a messianic title, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so there's a sense in which we are slaves only in the sense of that we do, we, we, uh, the works that we do, we do it for the good of other people, not for ourselves. And, uh, and so what I wanted to do is I wanted to look, and now I don't think I can see it. <laughs> I wanted to look at a verse that's found in, uh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. It says this. For you, he's talking to Christians, he says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. The word adoption, we ought to see, it means son placing. In other words, we are like sons to God. And, uh, and even women are called sons of God, and that's because sons refers to heirs. And so we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, all of us, both male and female in the church. And then in Philip in Philemon, a book in the New Testament called Philemon, which was uh, it was named after the man to whom Paul was writing it. Philemon had a, a slave; he owned a slave. In fact, about ninety-five percent of or ninety percent of the people in the Roman Empire were slaves. In other words, they weren't freemen. They had to. They were everything that they did. It didn't matter what they were. They could be a doctor, lawyer, whatever, but. They, they, they were owned by another man, and they had to live their life under his commands and control. Well, Philemon was a slave owner, but his slave had run off. And when he ran off, he ended up in Jerusalem, and he met Paul. And he believed the gospel, and he came to faith in Christ. 
Now Paul has sent him back to his former owner, who was a believer, and he says, perhaps this this slave, Onesimus, was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever as a brother in Christ. And so in Philemon 16, it says, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And so uh, this whole thing of sonship and friendship is something that's talked a lot about in the New Testament because Paul wants us to understand that we are sons of God, not slaves. We don't, don't gain a relationship with God by obeying rules or laws. We become sons of God. We become related to God through faith in Christ. And when the Spirit comes and lives within us, he's the Spirit of adoption. He makes us children of God, sons of God, and we have this new relationship with God. And that's what this book is really all about. Let me read to you the first few verses of of chapter 4, of, of Galatians chapter 4. Paul begins by saying, now I say, as long as the heir is a child, and so the heir would be the oldest son, but he might be a little bitty child. He says, he even while he's a child, he doesn't differ at all from a slave, even though he's the owner of everything. And all he meant by that was, the the slaves would watch over the little child and they would they could boss him around in the sense that what they said was law they were the, the child was supposed to do it he says but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father now the date set by the father well, this was a common thing in this culture they would have a an, a ceremony in which the son would become an adult he would the, the father would put a a garment on him called a toga virilis and he would put a signet ring on his finger. And this was to present him to the public as an adult male. And he was no longer considered a little child. And so Paul was making a point. Even though we're under the, even when children in a household are still under the control of slaves, that doesn't mean that they're still not the heirs of, the, everything belongs to them. They're going to receive it. And he says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. In other words, the salvation we have received isn't just we have obeyed the rules and so we're going to get rewarded. No, it is by faith we have put our trust in Christ and we have become a son of God. We've received the Spirit, who is the Spirit of adoption, and he assures our hearts that God is our Father. And that's why Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he told them, pray in this way our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and so forth. And so he, we relate to him as a father, not as a slave owner. We don't think, we're not afraid that he's, he's angry at us and ready to strike us because we're not keeping all of his rules. And, and he said, goes on in verse 5, he says, so that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. So we get more than simply being forgiven. We become sons of God. And he goes on and he says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, which is just a strong way of saying, dear Father, this Father that loves me. And so he says, the spirit assures our hearts that we really are the sons of God and that he loves us and cares for us. So we are no longer, he says, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Because sons, all sons are heirs of God. He goes on in verse 8, However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those 
which by nature are no gods. In other words, you, you grew up among a pagan society, and so you worship gods that don't even exist. But now that you have come to know God, the true God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? Why do you take on this slave mentality? And so Paul says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. Now notice that. This is grace. We have been known by God. He has come to know us. He has set his heart on us, and he wants us to know him as he knows us. He says, now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things? He's talking about going under the law, living under a set of rules. It'd be like a child growing up in a home where he has all the set of rules for him on the refrigerator door, and he's told, if you keep these, you'll be in good, uh, you'll be like a good citizen in this house, and we'll treat you good. But if you ever break them, you're going to pay a heavy price. God is not like that. And so he doesn't want us to go back under the law. The purpose of the law was to show people that they weren't perfect and they needed a savior. And it did a real good job at that. He goes on, he says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despair, despise or loathe. We don't know what he's talking about exactly, but we assume it's that he had a problem with his eyes. And so he said they loved him so much, they were so full of joy over their relationship with him that they were ready to pluck out their eyes and give them to him. But now they're angry with him because he's told them, don't put yourself under the law. Live in the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus because you are a son of God. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? In other words, what happened to all your joy? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. But instead, what they were worried about was they wanted to make sure that they were all right with God by keeping the law. But as Paul says, the problem with that is he kept breaking the law. He wanted to keep it, but he couldn't, and he kept breaking the law. So he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? And then he says, he answers by saying, he answers his own question, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the one who's going to set me free from the body of this death. Now, you see the problem, Paul understood something. The problem was not the law. The law was perfect. The problem was the heart of the person who thought they could live under the law and earn their way into God's presence because our hearts are not right and therefore we break the law. And so he says to them, Why is it now that you've lost this sense of blessing that you had, that you were going to be willing even to give me your eyes? For I bear you witness, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. And so what he's talking about is that they are being foolish by trying to go back under the law when they have been set free from the law. And he says, O foolish Galatians, why would you want to go back to living like a slave when you've been given the the exalted position of a son? Now, all of us know the difference between being a slave or a son in a household. I have a very good friend uh, who told me uh, one time that he grew up in a home where his father was an alcoholic and his mother was a recluse. She She just stayed out of sight all the time. And he said, I remember the one and only time in my whole life growing up in that home when I was touched by my mother. 
that she actually, there was a, a flood that started. And so they walked out on the porch and watched this water rising. And he said, all of a sudden, his mother came out. She came out of her bedroom and came out on the porch and she stood next to him. So she put her arm around him. And he says, that's the only time in my entire life when I remember her touching me. We see he understood the difference between being a son and being a slave. Being a son of God is having a relationship with a father who calls you his son and in fact is willing to make that a reality in your daily walk and relationship with him. He wants you to live as a son and not as a slave. He's not interested in you finding out 150 new rules that you can keep to please God. Instead, he wants you to understand that he has saved you by grace, that is as a gift, through faith, because you put your faith in Jesus Christ, whom he sent for you. Now, the law was designed for spiritual adolescence, and all I mean by that is it was, it was designed to take care of people while they were in their adolescence spiritually, when they first came to faith in Christ. He says there's going to be this period of immaturity that they went through, a period of guardians and managers. People had to show them how they were to live. And we're told, for example, in the New Testament that Christians are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And all he means by that is we need to show people how to live for God. And living for God is not legalism. It isn't keeping a thousand rules. Rather, it is living by faith. It's living, believing what God says about his relationship with you. It's very difficult to believe that someone loves you the way that the Father says he loves you, but it's truthful. In fact, it's interesting in in Romans chapter 6, what Paul emphasizes is that you need to know what God says about you, that it's really true, that you're a son of God, and you need to count it to be true and therefore act upon it. And that acting upon it, he calls presenting yourself to God. And all he means by that is be in his presence, be with him. Live your life knowing that you are welcome in the presence of God. You are his son. You are a son of God. And that means, uh, that means that you are, you have been blessed with this position by God Almighty. Now we know that, that Jesus Christ was sent, uh, with uh, crucial qualifications. And it says when the fullness of time came. In other words, there was a time in history when Jesus Christ was ready to come into the world and bring salvation to people who did not keep the law perfectly, but rather who believed on him. He was born of a woman which which says that he's truly man. He has a real humanity. He was sent with a crucial purpose. He says in verse 5, the first of all, to redeem those who were under the law, to bring them out from under the law, so they would not live as slaves. And then second, so that we might receive the adoption of sons, so that I can come to know and rest in the fact that I am a son of God. The Spirit was sent so we could become sons of God. He he was sent to bring us into joyful fellowship with the Father. This is what God wants. He wants a happy family. He wants to see us in relationship with him, knowing that we are confident in our relationship. We're confident in his love for us. And therefore, we have joy and we have gratitude for what he's done for us. So the Spirit was given to us so he could bring us joyful fellowship with the Father. God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son And this Holy Spirit has a subjective ministry in the believer's life. And that is that he continues to witness to your spirit that you really are a son of God, that you have this special relationship with him through faith in Christ that means that that he is your father and you are his son. In fact, if you remember, the father said that he wanted Jesus to be the firstborn among many brethren. 
which means he wants him to be the firstborn of a very large family. And so what we have known over the years, uh, by, the t- by, the, by 300 A.D., the Roman Empire became a Christian uh, empire because so many people came to faith in Christ. So the gospel is key, continues to move in that direction. More and more people are coming into the family because God wants to have a large family and his son to be the firstborn of that family. In Ephesians 1.13, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. What that means is the sealing. It means that the Holy Spirit has, has provided the absolute evidence and guarantee that you will be safely delivered to the Father. You've been sealed with the Spirit. The word for sealed is arabon, and it has the idea that the Holy Spirit is the seal that cannot be broken, and he guarantees our safe delivery and that he is going to finish this good work of saving us. In Ephesians 1.14, it says the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is an illustration who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. And, and he uses the same word, and the word has to do with the fact that the, the Holy Spirit is like an engagement ring. He is God's assurance that he's going to save us to the uttermost. He's going to finish this good work he has started in our life. Our responsibility, our position in Christ, gives us the worth that we need before God to rest in his presence. God, God actually wants you to come to have such assurance in your relationship with him that you can rest in his presence. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin, but our position in Christ gives us our value before God. We are worth a son to God, and we have two two very crucial responsibilities. The first one is this, to make sure that our conscience is cleansed because of the infinite value of the blood of Christ, to know that even though I have sinned many times, the one who paid for my sin is a worthy, worthy, perfect, adequate payment for my sins so that my conscience is cleansed. It isn't just clean, it's cleansed. It's been washed in the blood of Christ. And and sent and this was sent with this Jesus was sent with the crucial qualifications during the, when the fullness of time came. He came to save us voluntarily. He was the son of God, truly God, was a woman, born of a woman, a true man, and he was sent with this this incredible purpose to redeem those who are under the law, and that we would receive adoption as sons. Now, if you understand, receiving the adoption of sons means that God wants you to feel deep in your soul that you are a son of God. He wants this to be a mark of your life, that you're living a life that evidences the fact that you know you're a son of God, and that God has provided everything necessary for you to live in his presence for all eternity. Our new responsibility is this, our position in Christ gives us the worth we need before God to rest in his presence, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from our sin. But our position in Christ, that is the fact that we are in Christ, gives us our value before God. So we have these two crucial responsibilities. First, we are to make sure that our conscience is cleansed, as I said, because of the infinite value of the blood of Christ. And secondly, to make sure that our hearts accept God the Father's evaluation of us in Christ. He says that we should consider that to be true. And so when I enter into his presence, I don't cringe. When I go to Father and confess my sins, I don't have to uh, beat my chest and tell him how sorry I am and, and how, how bad I've blown it. 
but I can tell him thank you for sending an adequate Savior to pay for my sins so that I could be for all eternity in perfect relationship with you. We are sons, but we can only live as sons, not slaves, if we know, the, if we know this truth. We have to know the truth in order to live as sons, but God has commanded that we live as sons, not as slaves. He, do, he doesn't want us to live as though the, it's still, the issue is still up in the air, that this has been taken care of, and we know that God is, has taken care of our sin problem by sending Christ to die for our sins. In, in Romans chapter 6, it uses three words, know, reckon, and yield. In the New American Standard, that's the King James Version, but the New American Standard says, you know this, you know what's true about your relationship with God through Christ. And, and in verse 11, he says, now consider it to be true. And because you consider it to be true, present yourself to God. What he's saying is be in his presence, be with him. He wants you there. He doesn't want you to live at a distance. He wants you to live in his presence because you're a son and not a slave. And so this is what this is what it's all about. It's all about the fact that that God is our is the one that we are trusting and it's because of his work that we have this assurance of salvation. God doesn't want you doubting your salvation. He wants you to live in confidence that what Christ has done is adequate to save you forever. And so and the, the third thing that he says there to present yourself to God then tells us this is how we're to live. We are to live in such a way that we're constantly living in the presence of God. We know that he wants us to exercise our freedom of access to him and our freedom of speech with him. He wants us to live in fellowship with him. And that word is a very strong word. Koinonia means that we share something in common with him and that is we share his view of Christ. Now, what we believed when we got saved was the Father's testimony about the Son. If you remember when Jesus first showed up on the public scene, the Father spoke from heaven and the people heard what he said. He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so this is what he wants us to do. He wants us to believe his testimony about his Son. And if we believe his testimony that he is so adequately taking care of our sin problem, then we can present ourselves to God. The word presents a very interesting word. It's parahistemi, and it means to come and to be in his presence, right by his side. He wants you to know that he, he di- desires for you to come to him and to tell him that you believe this glorious work of the Son was accomplished in full, and you have this confidence in your relationship with God and with every other believer because of that. So God wants us to live as sons, not as slaves. He doesn't want us to live as slaves and wring our hands and worry about whether or not we're, we're doing everything the right way. He wants us to rest in him and to take him at his word and therefore to come into his presence with confidence. We have confidence that God has done everything necessary so that we could have a relationship with him throughout our life here and throughout eternity in the future. And he wants us to tell that story to as many people as he brings into our path. That's the gospel story. The gospel story is, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves. In other words, God is the one who will give you faith. The Spirit is the one who will exercise your mind so that you can understand and believe the truth about Christ. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, because we are his workmanship. He's created us for what he uses us for. And so the works that we do is not to gain salvation, it is rather to enjoy it and to experience it because it's a gift from God.
And so this is, this is what he calls us to, to be sons and not slaves, because that's what we really are. Let me give thanks to God and to ask him to bring this message home to all of our hearts and that it would show up in the way that we live. Our Father, we thank you so much for the fact that Jesus Christ is the perfect Savior and he's accomplished everything that we needed him to accomplish, everything that you sent him to do, Father, he has accomplished perfectly. And we stand in your presence, perfect and forgiven and complete, and we thank you for that. And we look forward to the day when we're going to enter into your presence and to be able to say thank you before your, before your very presence. And until that time, we pray that we would live our lives in the presence of God. We would take seriously what you have promised and what you have done in Christ, and that we would live our lives in relationship with you that manifests the fact that we actually believe the truth about being sons of God and not slaves. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.